Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online from the San Francisco, I can't even say it because it's just, I just can't say it, from the San Francisco Bay Area. I knew that would get me one day on a, on a tongue twister. I'm John Negroni, film editor for the young folks. I'm also a critic for Words Watching the Spool from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. And of course, the Cinema Hall's co-creator you love to love. It's Will Ashton. Hey there. Uh, Will Ashton, we have so much to talk about this yep. week. I mean, I'm going to tell the listeners, they already know, you can find more episodes of our show on cinemaholics.com, plus our written reviews, bonus content, and our email. Obviously, I haven't forgotten about that, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. Sure. We love hearing from you. And our merch page and patreon.com slash cinemaholics, where they can support this podcast every mm. single month. But Will, I just want to know, what are we talking about on the show this week? We're talking about James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, not to be confused with 2006, 2006. 2000s, or, <laughs> 2016's. I'd love to see a 2006 uh, Suicide Squad movie, you know, like in the super ex-girlfriend era. I guess. Would it be that much different than what we got in 2016? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. But that was, uh, I'd say 2016's because I don't. David Ayer has gone public of late being like, this is not my film. I want to release the, the error cut and Warner brothers is like, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, do you think that's ever going to happen? The error cut of the suicides or just suicide squad. I look, never say never, you know, sure. we, we didn't think a Snyder cut would happen and there you go. Yeah. But I mean, the difference is that Zack Snyder has like passionate fans who really care about his body of work. Say what you will about it. But like mm-hmm. who comes, who goes to bat for David Ayer? Like I know some people do. David Ayer. I guess. Yeah, David Ayer. And then like, I know I've seen tweets where people are like, they, they think uh, Zack Snyder made Suicide Squad. So they're like, these are the movies that make money. And I'm like, that was David Ayer who made Suicide Squad, which did the 2016 movie did make, gosh, uh, seven, eight hundred million dollars at the box office. So what do we know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're talking about that one. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a weird thing, right? Because it's like that movie must have fans if it made that much money, like not just from its opening weekend, but like recurring business. And yet everyone I've ever talked to about the movie is like, oh, yeah, that movie sucked. It's awful. But it was a huge box office success. And yet the uh, subsequent subsequent films that follow in that vein, Birds of Prey and The Suicide Squad are uh, significantly less good. um financially profitable as opposed to what suicide squad brought in in 2016 i mean never underestimate will smith i mean i know he doesn't bring in box office numbers like he used to but yeah i mean it was a it was quite a cast and you know we're going to talk about the suicide squad a little later but what else are we talking about well we're talking about annette and we're also going to be talking about vivo vivo did i even see that movie uh, did anyone see? I'm I guess sorry, a lot of I guess did. I just I, forgot that I watched it. Wah, wah. Yeah, because I haven't heard anyone really talking about it besides you. And then I looked at Netflix <laughs> yeah. and it's like the second most watched movie of the weekend. So I guess people are yeah. watching it. I've decided, you know what? Twitter is not a barometer at all for any sort of like pop culture, like analysis like you really just cannot judge the popularity of things by twitter mentions and what people mm-hmm. in the know are talking about because the the masses are a fickle unpredictable bunch and i like it that way personally yeah sometimes i do like it as well and sometimes i i find it very distressing and uh 
alarming for a number of reasons, but uh, that's the way it is. What else are we talking about, Will Ashen? Uh, that's right. Season two of Ted Lasso, which you watched all of the I episodes. Not, I, I've seen two episodes of Ted Lasso, season one. It seems like a fine show. Mm. Uh, my dad uh, says we'll watch the rest of it, and that promise has not come into fruition. So currently I am not watching it. You know what? That's actually kind of fine because I'm just going to keep bringing every single week. I'm just going to say, oh, yeah, you watched it and just force you to go through this. And then, sure. you know, well, like we promised, I mean, I've been watching The Sopranos. So anytime you bring up Ted Lasso or any of these other shows, I'm just going to talk about The Sopranos. That's fine. Because surely you've seen that, right? Gabagool. It's been about 20 years. Gabagool. Yeah, I know. I know. I know some Soprano stuff, but OK, let's let's get into our Good first show. review here. Um, so I've heard. Robert Dubois. He's in prison for putting Superman in the ICU with a kryptonite bullet. You want to join in your suicide squad? We'll see. My court date is coming up. And Miss Wallerson, maybe you could help me out. You're stretching in my door! Everyone stand down. Miss Waller, I don't- Stand down! I wouldn't take such extreme measures if this mission weren't more important than you could possibly imagine. Are you in? Or out. Good. Let's meet your team. It's okay, I'm not okay. Each member has chosen for his or her own completely unique set of abilities. I need to feel the raindrops on my head. On my head. Hey guys, sorry I'm late. Had to go number two. Good to know. Is this thing a dog? A dog? What kind of dog do you think it is, mate? I'm gonna go with Afghan hound. Oh my god, is it a werewolf? Yo, they sent me this to a werewolf? Yo, let me out! He's not a werewolf, okay? He's a weasel. He's harmless. I mean, he's not harmless. He's killed 27 children, but, you know. So the Suicide Squad, we already touched on it a little bit. So I, I guess we do have to kind of clear this up because a lot of people have been confused. I've heard stories of people just not understanding. Is this a sequel? Is it a reboot? Is it a remake? And to what you're saying, a lot of people did watch that movie in 2016, but they didn't like it. They weren't into the Suicide Squad or sorry, no the right. But um, people did watch it, and people did come out to theaters for it. And my theory for it, too, is. Look, it's 2016. This was like peak or one of the peak superhero movie summers. This is the summer of Captain America Civil War. This was like right after Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. It was also like before the DCEU's reputation had really gone downhill. I'd say Suicide Squad was part of that reputation kind of getting uh, soured a bit because people were like, okay with Man of Steel. Batman v Superman... I think people were just confused. Like they were still processing it. I think when, by the time we got to wonder woman, people were like, Oh yeah, these can be good. And then justice league, I think just took the whole thing. Goodwill wise into like people's just are like, okay, these DC movies are not working. I think that's kind of what, if I'm tracing my memory of the cultural reaction of these movies, but to what you're saying, suicide squad, a lot of people saw it. It didn't have the biggest pop cultural impact, but it did have one thing that really has, last of the test of time people didn't people don't care about killer croc they, they didn't care about like like uh boomerang dude and they didn't care as much about rick flag or Deadshot uh, played uh, by will smith but they care about harley boomerang Quinn. dude boomerang dude i think he's jai courtney i, I think 
Yes, his name is Captain Boomerang. And you put respect on that name, gosh darn it. (laughs) No, (laughs) I will not. Uh, I do not respect Captain Boomerang, but I do respect Jai Courtney uh, to an extent. But I'll just say, I think that movie... I was nice to it. Like I, I, I thought it was like a C plus. I, people were like, this is D minus F is one of the worst movies. I thought it was, you know, watchable, I guess it was, you know, there was some good stuff in there. I liked fine, but I don't, yeah, I don't love the movie or anything. Didn't we do a discussion about suicide squad on your uh, predecessor podcast? You might've been on for that. Well, I remember you were, yeah. you were unkind to the film compared to me, but you weren't like super, super negative. Well, I mean, I reviewed the film, as you might remember, for yep. Heroic Hollywood. I remember. And I and I was like nicer than I actually felt about the film when I wrote that review. You threw the fans a bone. <laughs> you were like, hey, hey, hey. They still got extremely pissed. They hadn't even seen the film, but they were just like, how dare you? This is uh, whatever disrespectful to. Yeah, the you comic. don't understand, Will. This movie is going to last yeah. the test of time. People are going to be shouting the glory of the Suicide Squad movie. Well, that's for years to come. the weird thing about it is that it does seem to have a longer pop culture lifespan than like better blockbusters that have come after it in this genre. I don't know. That's the weirdest thing about it, I think. Hmm. Well, you know, is that? Yeah, it has a longer lifespan than Bright. You know, I mean, although Bright, Bright the memes in Bright kind of lasted, I guess, like fairy lives, fairy lives mm-hmm. don't matter today. I, I still see that here and there. Yes. Yeah. But with David Ayer, I just think that people people respond kind of poorly, like critics respond kind of poorly to his movies. I think there is like a contingent of people who like his stuff. There was that movie last year. I think I saw it, but you didn't with Shia LaBeouf. I mean, Shia LaBeouf Ooh, was kind of yeah. in it. I don't even remember the name of it, but we talked about it on the show. Uh, but it was like a street movie, you know? And I think that's a reason like Suicide Squad kind of marketed itself as like, ah, Guardians of the Galaxy, but it's DC. But then it comes out and it's just another kind of David Ayer like street supervillain movie. And I think the idea behind it was fine. I mean, the idea, it's the same as this new Suicide Squad movie where it's okay, it's Dirty Dozen, you know, but with supervillains. It's the same thing that like the comics based it out of. It's a great idea for a movie. I mean, it it really does have the goods. Um, I think you would say, right? Yeah. I mean, didn't they already kind of make it, though, with the Dirty Dozen? Yeah. <laughs> decades prior but with super villains though right like it's more of right. like a comic book splash it, it does have its own flair right sure yeah i mean i think the premise is enticing on its own i think that's key to why the first movie was uh financially successful in addition to having you know a bunch of stars and uh the dc reputant reputation at the time wasn't quite as checkered as it was now but uh, yeah, I mean, certainly I think the potential was always there and I, I haven't read the comics, but I think there is enough uh, to like in the comics to make a movie in the first place. But that yeah. first movie just was one big old mess. I do think, too, that like people were not sick of Harley Quinn at that time. I think some people yeah. are kind of getting kind of sick of Harley Quinn. I know Harley Quinn still has like, massive yeah. super fans, but yeah, I I'm not sick of her, but I do think it's kind of getting tired. That was one thing I felt about this film, but I don't want to jump ahead. Mm-hmm. Into our no, we'll get to it. Film, we'll get so. to it. Yeah. 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 Uh, Cause she had her, she had her like kind of solo movie or like solo team up movie, I guess yeah. last year. Birds, with Birds of, Prey. of Prey. Yeah. Which was, I think like looking at it, I think that was the last comic book movie or one of the last comic book movies, like mainstream comic book movies that wasn't affected by the pandemic that actually like came out 
was in theaters and this like the suicide squad is i think is the most mm-hmm. is the, i think the only one we've gotten since the pandemic started that wasn't you know delayed or anything like that right yeah and that's a weird thing too is i like even despite the fact that it wasn't a pandemic release birds of prey still underperformed quite significantly it did yeah so yeah in a way that i feel like kind of similar to the suicide squad like people had expectations like oh this is going to do really well like you know, a lot of people like Harley Quinn, Margot Robbie's performance is well liked that, you know, it just, I don't know if that one bombed. I think it just kind of underperformed. It, it didn't meet expectations. It seems like the Suicide Squad is outright bombing right now. Well, again, we'll talk about it. I do, I do want to say a couple more quick things about Suicide Squad. We'll move on to the main event, I promise. I will say Birds of Prey, to what you're saying, it made $200 million worldwide at the box office, which, yeah, that's that's pretty mediocre, right? I mean, it's... It did pass 200, which was like kind of what it needed to do to out, like avoid being a massive failure, but it still is pretty much a failure. And some people still kind of blame the pandemic. I mean, it came out February, uh, but it was early February. These movies usually make their money like the first month. And yeah, Birds of Prey like had four or five weeks of the box office, mostly to itself, if I recall. I mean, Emma, Onward, that kind of thing started coming out later in like uh, early March, but it, it had time before the pandemic really got going. Uh, the other thing to recall, mm-hmm. though, is that to remember is that China was like in the in full like coronavirus mode, I think, in February. Yeah. So a lot of factors there in terms mm-hmm. of Suicide Squad from 2016. It's clear that the movie just didn't quite work. You know, it made money, but it didn't quite work critically. It People remember stuff from that movie, but there definitely was like a a backlash to it, a sort of feeling like they just didn't nail it and the studio could do much better. And of course they were going to make another one, right? But how do you do it? Do you make a sequel where you call back to the first one, right? Where it feels like continuation. Eh, They decided not to do that because they were like, well, you know, the first one has like a 28% on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) Like let's, let's maybe Uh refresh the slate. And so I understand why they don't call this new movie Suicide Squad 2. Like, that makes perfect sense to me. Don't do that. <laughs> because, like, by all intents and purposes... Suicide Squad. Yeah, Suicide Squads, right? Sure. You just have, like... I prefer slow... Suicide Squad, but... Suicide yeah. Squad? Yeah, Suicide yeah. Squad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, no, they, they decided, uh, you know what? No Suicide Squad 2. Uh, no Suicide Squad 2049, whatever. No 2 Suicide 2 Squad. We're just going to call it The Suicide Squad, which I think has added to a lot of the confusion. Because yeah. people are like, this movie already came out. Is this a re-release? They see Harley Quinn on the poster and they're like, yeah, yeah I saw this movie. They see Idris Elba playing a mercenary in like kind of an armored suit who can shoot stuff really well. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah I saw that movie in 2016. Mm-hmm. I don't need to see it again, especially when Delta variant is happening. Do, do you think the do you, do you think have you experienced any of this confusion for yourself? Because I have I have literally talked to people who were who had no idea this was coming out, had no they hadn't seen the trailer, they had no idea James Gunn made it, and they had no idea that like it was a new movie. They just thought it was like some kind of weird offshoot thing. Yeah, I mean, when I even when I had seen the film and I was talking about it with friends, I was still kind of among people just being like, so does that technically count as a sequel? Is it more of like a reboot slash sequel? And I think the the official terminology is standalone sequel, which I guess makes sense because it's basically Warner Brothers cherry picking what was well liked or worked from the first movie, which is obviously like 
Amanda Waller, Viola Davis's character, Harley Quinn, um, Captain Boomerang. Yeah, Jai Courtney's and, back. And yeah, uh, Joel Kinnaman, who plays Rick Flagg. Well, I guess uh, he just, uh, they just kind of had to bring him back. <laughs> I don't know if anyone had strong feelings about Rick Flagg. Uh, I was surprised. Film, but I was surprised he was in this. I was, I was not expecting them to retain him because it's the first movie. I thought he was pretty blah. But yeah, you know. I think he's he was just part of the package deal. Yeah, yeah. they're just kind of like like you know like when you get like a cereal box and like it has like an extra. Yeah, he showed up to set anyway. It. Like nobody asked. Him. Yeah, he's like, yeah, you're right. for filming today, and they're like, we. Well, all right. Yeah, I mean, we haven't. I like to think that's the case. Yeah, <laughs> we like haven't they, casted him yet, so recasted right. you yet. He just heard there's a new Suicide Squad movie. He's like, all right, yeah. I'll be there. And it's like, no, 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 you don't have to show up. Ah, no, my bags are packed. I'll he showed <laughs> up with the extras at the casting call yeah. in the crowd. Someone picked him out because they thought he was familiar. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen you before. You, you should. We have a background scene for you. It's like, wait, Rick Flagg's mm-hmm. here. Yeah. And there you go. But so. <laughs> standalone sequel, though, I think is I think that's right. But I don't think that covers it 100%. It covers it. To me, it covers it 90% because that sort of assumes that if this had been financially success, successful from the jump, and we should say this is the first week, we don't know how it's going to do after this. Like we, we have no idea, like box office wise, it looks like a dud could be doing extremely well on HBO max. It could be pleasing the HBO max overlords. We don't really know, but for now it's looking bad. But that said, if it had been extremely successful, if this movie had raked in like a hundred million dollars opening weekend, which is for sure what they want, they probably wanted upwards of like 150 million. They only got, I think, uh, 72 million worldwide and very, very low domestically. But looking at this movie right now, I would say that it's more of like a soft reboot, you know, because it, it doesn't seem like a stand like a standalone in the sense that they wouldn't keep it going with like these same characters or some of these same sort of things. It seems like they would have just like reset the franchise. So it's like a soft reboot in the sense that they didn't totally rework the whole thing. Like you said, they, they brought in Viola Davis or brought back Viola Davis. They brought back these characters, but they're, it is kind of like a reboot in terms of style tone. The fact that it's R rated instead of PG 13, the budget of this thing seems way more significant. And just the whole presentation of it feels like the beginning of something new to me. It doesn't feel like sort of a spinoff if that makes any sense, which is what I think sometimes standalone sequel kind of is in that zone. It's not quite a spinoff, but people look at it as a spinoff. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, that was something I I mean, I'll talk about this more when we discuss the film in full. But there's something about this film that's weirdly uh, it feels like otherworldly in that, like, it feels like this is the Suicide Squad movie from like another planet that just happened like, like an alternate timeline. Yeah. The like, bizarro this is what they got. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like this is what they got. But we have somehow got both versions uh, because like, you know, obviously when they made uh, the original suicide squad, there's uh, it's, it's transparent that Warner brothers just wanted their own guardians of galaxy. And I think the marketing reflected that. And David Ayer just made a David Ayer movie, which, you know, yeah. like we said before, that's, either your thing or it's not, but I mean, I think he, he made the movie he set out to make and Warner brothers got cold feet and was like, no, that's not what we want anymore. And they, yeah. you know, frantically tried to make it something else. Can we mention what they did too, right? In that vein, like they literally, the trailer was really successful, right? It had all these needle drops and they're like, we want that. And they literally hired the people who cut trailers to like edit and rework the film in post-production. It's a big reason why it's such a mess because they thought, I think the main reason, maybe yeah i mean i wouldn't be surprised it's hard it's hard to pontificate when you're not there 
Yeah, I mean, but just like the Dan Olson, Folding Ideas has a great video about like just how the the edit of Suicide Squad is just like inherently a disaster. Classic. Like video. nothing about it. Make, yeah. yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. And I have to assume that just because three different team of editors came in and tried to like salvage this thing to make it something else. And the, the end product is just this weird alchemation of like three different ideas of what the movie should be. And it's like, you know, like they put like frosting and paint on like, uh, like tar. It's just like, it just has like this weird, like, it looks like they're trying to like butter up something that's just like so mm-hmm. bleak and like kind of off putting. And uh, to this movie's credit, it, it does feel like a more complete vision uh, and, and something that like what Warner Brothers wanted from the get go. But I also kind of felt like when James Gunn was hired, it was kind of like putting a hat on a hat because it was just like it, it, it kind of goes back to the Justice League thing where they hired Josh Whedon to take over for Justice League because just like we want the Avengers. Just get the guy did Avengers. And it's like, we want Guardians of the Galaxy. Just get the guy to do Guardians of the Galaxy. It just shows like a weird kind of lack of imagination from Warner Brothers. But I, I guess that's to be expected given how the DC EU has turned out thus far. I mean, they didn't say that with Aquaman, right? <laughs> They're like, give us the guy yeah, who made uh, Insidious. <laughs> give us Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I think with, uh, gosh, with Shazam, right? That was the guy who made like it, wasn't it? If I'm remembering that right, Andy Machete. Um, no, that's a guy that did um, uh, Annabelle Creation, I think. Oh, for some reason, I thought he did Shazam, but yeah, you're probably right. I, I'm trying to remember. No. Oh, wait. No, the, yeah, the guy that did... Was it, um, was it Sandberg? David Sandberg? Yeah, because the guy that did It is doing Black... Or no, he was going to do Black Adam. Now he's doing The Flash, I think. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm... I have, it, I have it confused with Flash. But hey, I mean, to be fair... David Sandberg did uh, Lights Out. So I ha- he did have a horror f- flick. Yeah. I just had it mixed up mm-hmm. there. But anyway. But yes, yeah, so um, we now have the Suicide Squad. And to what you're saying, yeah, the whole thing with James Gunn, I guess we can mention that real fast too. So James Gunn, he did the first two Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Way before that, he did Super with Rain Wilson. He did Slither. And uh, both pretty hard R movies. Slither, especially gross movie. You know, I still remember the experience of watching the trailer for that movie when I was a kid. And I don't know, I guess I wasn't a kid. I think I was in like middle school or something, but I was grossed out. Like I was like, what the heck is this? I ended up watching it sometime after that and was not disappointed. It's a good like slumber party type movie. Yeah, yeah. Just like hang out with your buds, you know, get yeah. some RC cola and just see what happens. But yeah, yeah. So what a, what a journey for James Gunn. But he got hired to do this movie because Disney sort of fired him abruptly because a bunch of people on the Internet tried to like cancel the dude right like this was yeah a few years ago i think 2018 or something and basically people were trying to like dig up a bunch of bad tweets he did like jokes about like pedophilia and stuff from when he was more of a provocateur online like 2000 like late 2000s early 20 teens mm-hmm. he had already apologized for those tweets he had already said yeah you know i, I was into shock humor and stuff it was pretty messed up But then Disney was like, we don't want a controversy on our hands. So they sort of preemptively fired the guy like right before there was like this earnings call, if I if I'm remembering that right. And it was extremely reactive. Well, yeah, because it was like a response to the Roseanne thing where like they they fired her instantly. And obviously they're not comparable in a lot of ways, in in my opinion. But people tried to make them comparable. And when Disney just fired James Gunn as abruptly as they fired Roseanne, it just became like a whole political argument 
and yeah, it just it just became a big mess mm-hmm. ultimately. Yeah, we should mention they were after him because he was like being very political online. And so these were people who were like against his politics. Like that's kind of the context too. It's like he was being sure. very vocal about his disdain for certain politicians and then people who defend that politics. It's all just, you know, gross and lame. But anyway, yeah, it, 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 it led to Warner brothers like rather quickly after he got yeah. f- initially fired from guardians, uh, just being like, come over here. Yoink. Hey, you know how we made Suicide Squad and it sucked? It's like, yeah. <laughs> I just see it's them like, peeking just, out of the water tower, yeah. whispering this to him, <laughs> you know? But yeah, I mean, like I said, it just kind of felt like putting a hat on a hat. At least that's how I felt at the time. Like, it just was like, seems like a very obvious thing to do, given how much the first Suicide Squad was just clearly trying to emulate the the formula, at least from a marketing yeah. standpoint. I felt weird from, about it. I was kind of like, yeah. Uh. It's kind of like you were saying, I was like, that's not that's that is lacking imagination. It's like, come on, fresh talent. You know, it doesn't have to be David Ayer. It right. doesn't have to be the same guy who made a similar kind of movie. Just find somebody else. But, you know, yeah. I obviously at the time I was still kind of being open minded. It's like you never know. Well, yeah, because that's the fascinating thing about it, or at least that's why I was still interested. Is that like, OK, now, like the training wheels are kind of off for James Gunn. He can yeah. make a true 200 million dollar quote unquote James Gunn movie. Not that the Guardians movies aren't James Gunn movies, but they're James Gunn in dizzy mode. And this is like the James Gunn, like uninhibited, just can do whatever he really wants with a big budget. And it's just like, what's that going to be? And uh, I think for better or for worse, he made that film. (laughs) Well, yeah. Uh, And I'll say like Guardians of the Galaxy, it's the movie that I would watch with my dad. Suicide Squad or The Suicide Squad, it's the movie my friends and I would have snuck into you know, when we were 16, like that's kind of the difference yeah. and gloriously. So for, I think for a lot of people who are kind of hoping that this would feel a little bit different, if anything, it doesn't, there are aspects of it that remind me of guardians of the galaxy, I guess, but I barely thought of guardians of the galaxy while I was watching mm. this, but let's, let's set this up. Um, cause I don't know if you agree with that. Uh, but okay. So the movie we've already kind of alluded to it. It's sort of just doing its own thing. Um, James Gunn kind of is like, He's kind of just taken like a a war film almost. I mean, we mentioned Dirty Dozen where, you know, those kinds of movies. But it, it's this kind of movie where we really are just like on one mission where like Suicide Squad 2016, that was very much of like a street level kind of movie. They go into this place. There's like nobody there. They have to fight this mystical whatever. Uh, this movie is more of like a okay, we're going to go to this exotic location. They're in this fictional island called Cora Maltese, which is like a sort of Pan-American, you know, or like a Central American maybe kind of uh, island place. And uh, I guess I guess it's Latin America, South America, something like that. Um, but Because, I mean, they filmed it in Panama, so you kind of get the vibe. But they kind of just get into this island, and they're trying to find this thing that has to be destroyed. It's the same plot structure of the first one or at least the same plot setup i should say where their task force x task force gosh i can't say a task force x there we go where there are a bunch of criminals who are detained in bell reeve and then amanda waller who is this government shady horrible you know person gives them a deal she's like all right if you do this mission for me you, you you know you will probably die but if you don't die you're going to lose whatever years off your sentence. I think it's 10. 
These are based on the comic books from the 1980s uh, from John Ostrander. They've evolved a lot over the years. And the last movie had like Deadshot. It had Harley Quinn, as we mentioned. It even had Joker played by Jared Leto, funny enough. Uh, hard, hard to believe sometimes that he was in that. I mean, we did we did also see him again, though, in a movie this year, to be fair. Uh, we saw him in Zack Snyder's Justice League, albeit briefly. But this movie doesn't have a lot of that stuff. It, it doesn't have Deadshot. Instead, we have Idris Elba playing kind of a Deadshot stand-in, you know, Bloodsport, a different comic book character. And I don't want to get into... I, I, we'd be here all day talking about trading cards when it comes to all of the different characters in this movie. There are so many characters in The Suicide Squad. Keeping it kind of brief and succinct, James Gunn, dis, James Gunn essentially just took a whole bunch of lesser known characters from around DC's rogues gallery from all kinds of different comic books. We have polka dot man in this movie. Uh, he's played by, uh, David Dasmalkian. Uh, we also have John Cena playing this guy known as peacemaker. I had never even heard of peacemaker before. Uh, there, there were a few uh, characters in this. I had never heard of, I had heard of King shark, of course, played by or voiced by Sylvester Stallone. He's kind of like the Groot of this story. Essentially. He's kind of this like cute brute kind of, but he has his own unhinged personality, I suppose. Uh, we'd have different characters like the thinker played by Peter Capaldi. I didn't know he was going to be in this movie. I didn't see the trailer. I don't know if I mentioned that. Uh, so watching this movie was pretty interesting, like not really knowing what I was in for. Like I knew some of the actors were in this. I knew like Pete Davidson was in this as a character, Nathan Fillion, but I hadn't seen any of this movie like come about in the trailers. So I wasn't expecting, which I'm sure you're about to get into the level of gratuitous gore and violence in this movie. Like I knew there'd probably be some cause really? it was R rated, but I hadn't seen the trailer. So I didn't have a sense no, but of I mean, it, you know, but that was like the selling point, right? Like, it's just like, we got was James it? Gunn to make a $200 million film. It's obviously going to be like heightened and gory. Like, well, I mean, like if you compare this to like super, which is also very like gory and intense and, and hyper violent and slither. Like we said, I just feel like, all of J it, James Gunn's other products, and even like, um, oh, what was the superhero one they did between they produce? Uh, Brightburn? Uh, it's also like very. Yeah, yeah, where he's uh, like, if Superman was evil. Yeah. Yeah. It just like, that's also like extremely graphic and violent and gory and stuff. I just feel like it, it was a given, in my view, that it was going to be this comically over the top and gooey and gushy and stuff. I mean, again, I. Maybe if I had seen the, I mean, if I had seen the trailer, I think I would have called that. I just, I just had a very blank sense of what this movie was going to be and purposely so. So I'll say I was pleasantly surprised though, by how different this felt to me. And ah, man, I think we're probably, I don't know if we're, I don't think we're going to agree on this movie. I, I already have a sense, but I really dug this. Like I really, I had so, so much fun watching this movie. I was sitting up in my seat laughing the whole way through relishing in these characters and i i had this thought to myself walking out of the theater where i was like man i i just can't remember the last time i felt like this during a comic book movie it really reminded me more of like the first deadpool it was kind of like what i was hoping deadpool 2 would be where it's more like the team ensemble the x worst thing that sort of irreverent humor mixed with the gratuitous violence but also with like a little bit of heart and that's what i got out of this movie 
it's a big, it's a big, sprawling, ambitious thing. It feels like something that they purposely didn't edit as much as like the last one. And maybe to a fault, I wouldn't say that this movie certainly rises to like the upper echelon of like comic book movies. But for me, this was one of the most fun comic book movies, one of the more impressive action comedies I've seen from a comic book adaptation and a good, good while. So I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it a lot more than Birds of Prey, which I wanted to like a lot more than I did. Ultimately, I found that movie just to be kind of flat thematically. I, I think like the whole journey of Harley Quinn, it's it's sort of interesting, but I, you know, I, I'll let you talk about it too. I just thought that that character had kind of run its course a little bit. And in here, I thought that, I thought Gunn found clever ways to use her. I, I'd say she was far from my favorite thing in this movie. I, I, I think that if anything, she felt like an afterthought at times. And then other times, like it was almost like an overthought of like, whoa, uh, yeah. <laughs> you're back. <laughs> it was that kind of thing. But anyway, what do you think of the Suicide Squad? Well, I don't know exactly how you think I feel about it, but I, I enjoyed the film. I, I oh, think OK, it, I, I was expecting you to not like it. I, look, I, Will, oh, you got to understand. I've just I've seen a lot of takes the last two days sure. where people are like, oh, I hate this movie. Why do people like this movie? And so I was, I was nervous. No, I mean, I like the film. I don't think I like it as much as you do uh, uh, for a different reason. I bet a lot of listeners are like, oh, big surprise. Sure. <laughs> Will, Will doesn't like a comic book movie as much as John does. I'll, I'll be sure to pause the podcast and collect myself. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I mean, for me, the the weird thing about, like I was saying before, there's this bizarre world aspect to it and that it feels like the movie James Gunn would have made as a stepping stone to the Guardians movies. Like, it feels like the type, everything about it sort of feels like a 2012 movie that's coming out in 2021. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that, but. No, I mean, 2012, I'd maybe compromise with you on like 2015. And I, I feel like this feels very much like something from like eight years ago. Really? So like 2012, 2013. Yeah. Why, why is that? Uh, it, because it has the desire to be irreverent in that sort of way. It has the, the violence of it, the, like the type of film that we would get around this time where it has like a lot of like sort of like epic baconing kind of humor. And like even the plotting of it feels like something that would have come about from that time period in a way that I, it just reminded me a lot of the type of films that we got a decade prior or almost a decade prior. I mean, maybe um, in some aspects, like maybe like a movie like the losers or something, but I guess where I disagree is that mm. I can't even imagine like four years ago, Hollywood green lighting a $185 million movie where one of the main characters is polka dot man. Like I do not see that happening in 2012. I don't see that happening in 2016. Like, I, I don't know. It, it seems to me like this movie has like a sort of we're not afraid to be weird kind of mentality that does feel a little bit more current, um, at least in that respect. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with that. And I do agree with you that like I, I what I find most delightful is like the aspects of it that you're referring to that are like so weird in a way that that feel weirdly accessible. Like the fact that we have a hundred and eighty five million dollar movie where the climax involves Dario the Conqueror like is just so fascinatingly bizarre <laughs> to me mm -hmm. oh, uh, in a way it's wonderful in a way that's yeah. And I think the third act is actually cause I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people who say that they like the beginning of the film a lot and they kind of get a, They fall out of flavor with it as it goes along. And I think I'm sort of the opposite. The beginning of it, I found to be kind of rocky 
and predictable. I think the whole film is kind of predictable, but in a way that's like on the tin, like you're getting the movie you're expecting from this. Like the, the beginning of the film is just like a 10 minute setup for an inevitable punchline. Albert one that's I think delivered well, but like you're, you kind of know where it's going to go at the beginning of the film. And you're just kind of waiting for that punchline to happen. It's just like, okay, so how exactly are they going to deliver this joke? And it's done, I think, well in, in a way that it is, I, at least I expected it to be fairly gory and over the top and like hyper violent. Um, but I don't think there's anything about that's once you know what the movie is going to be. And like I said, like the fact that Stario and stuff is in the trailer, like I don't think there are a ton of surprises in this. And, and I don't think James Gunn is saying as much here that he hasn't sent his other films, including the Guardians films. But I also appreciate that this film also sort of weirdly and surprisingly feels like a reaction to Disney's Marvel films in a way that especially how it tackles imperialism and just like in a kind of American rah-rah mentality that I think is not necessarily novel in terms of what it's saying, especially in blockbusters. But I think the fact that it's willing to say what it says so bluntly and, and James Gunn has the ability to say that in counterpart to the Marvel movies and just their kind of weird militarization aspects in general. I, I, I find, I think that's the aspect of it that I find most fascinating in addition to the fact that it allows itself to be so weird and willing to be weird in a way that that is, I think, fairly accessible and broadly appealing without losing just the inherent weirdness of the property. So I think it, by and large, I think it's a very fun, watchable movie. I don't think it's James Gunn's best. I think he has done better work with the Marvel movies, which is a weird thing for me to say. But uh, at the same time, I, I, I think those are kind of more complete films and this one feels a little bit messier and, and in a way it's I guess deliberate because he's just trying a bunch of different things and he just has the freedom to really go nuts and go wild but like you said like this is a movie where we really get to spend a lot of emotional time caring about Polka Dot Man who's the MVP of this movie by far uh, and I, I think the fact that we can have a character like Polka Dot Man be in a $185 million movie is something we're celebrating and uh, I'm certainly celebrating it. <laughs> I like a lot of the characters in this movie to be like, I really liked a uh, rat catcher too, who I had yeah. no, I didn't know she was in this. I didn't know there was going to be a rat catcher character. Yeah. Um, and who's that actress? I think she's really good in this. I, I'm not familiar with her, but I thought she, she gave one of the best performances yeah. in the film. Yeah. She is wonderful. She's Daniela Melchior, who I think okay. is a better known actress. Um, elsewhere i think in uh portugal or brazil or okay. i know she's portuguese but i don't remember if she's like european portuguese or south american Port portuguese so i apologize but yeah she yeah. plays Ratcatcher too and she was a f i have to say because you're you were kind of mentioning there weren't a lot of surprises for you well this is why i don't watch trailers as often as i used to i mean i just there were so many things about this movie that did i did I get choose to, not to <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean just, yeah <laughs> i mean I, i've told you like at this point, like I, I do my best to just avoid trailers as much as I can. Um, and if it's like a trailer for a movie, I especially want to see I'll and I'm like out of theater and I have to watch it. Uh, fortunately, I'm very fortunate. You know, I get to go to press screenings a lot and I don't have to sit through trailers for those. But in the times when I have, I've just sort of like tuned out, you know, just sort of like not pay attention. And that works, you know, to an extent. But a lot of this movie took me by surprise. I mean, there were things that were happening in the beginning where, to what you're saying, like I kind of saw what was going to come. And, you know, I wasn't like surprised. 
but I think I was like really into it. I was really into just like these characters kind of settling into a groove, getting to know each other a little bit to what you're saying too about James Gunn kind of making a essentially like a ha ha laugh at you Marvel kind of thing. Cause he did get rehired by Disney. He is making guardians of the galaxy volume three, which I think is going to be coming out 2023. And so he's not, he's not burning any bridges, but I do think it is yeah. funny that he, he had a chance to do to basically say to Marvel's like, all right, well, you don't want, you don't want me to do a Marvel movie. Well, I'll do my own captain America. And he's going to be a uh, psychotic jingoistic, you know, kind of character. And yeah. then, you know, that's where John Cena comes in and, I thought that worked out pretty well. I thought that was interesting. And I, what a difference between Idris Elba and Will Smith in these movies, because Will Smith in that first movie, man, it's, it's not his fault. I just think that he just, there's just such a difference to what Idris Elba brings to a team ensemble that I think Will Smith, he's just too like overpowering. I think for these other actors, like he's trying to do stuff. He's trying to like, you know, not maliciously, I don't think. I just think that he has such natural, like, exponential charisma that, yeah, he just, like, pushes his personality onto everything he does. Idris Elba is such a more balanced actor for this sort of role. It's so well-suited because he re he doesn't just react to what everybody is doing and saying. He has his own, like, aggression. He has his own, like, contribution. But even in, like, they have a scene that's, like, straight out of the first movie where... You know, his motivation is that his daughter isn't, you know, he has to, he doesn't really want time off his sentence. He's doing this to help his daughter. But like, even their dynamic is a little bit more refreshing to me, like the writing of it and the way that it goes uh, sort of like into the, the kind of the emotional stakes of the movie beyond that, actually. So, yeah, stuff like that is what impressed me. I almost agree. Uh, where I disagree is I actually think Will Smith is better than Idris Elba. So I, I, as an actor... Uh, I think Idris Elba is a little bit more complex, and but like I, like you're saying, like I was rewatching the original Suicide Squad just for comparison's sake, um, and uh, I do agree with you that like the character that Will Smith is playing in that film isn't particularly well drawn out, and he gets kind of lost in the fold a bit. But I do think that performance is more interesting because it's Will Smith, like you're saying, fighting his charisma, trying to play something that's so against his type, and I felt like Idris Elba in this movie was just sort of fine. Like, I, I don't think it's his fault necessarily, but it feels like the movie kind of loses interest with him midway through and focuses on the other weirder side characters, which makes sense because I think they're more interesting and more entertaining for James Gunn as a writer. But I also kind of think that loses the emotional crux of the film. And that's also, I think, one of the bigger issues with the film is that because it is fairly flippant and irreverent throughout, I think the emotional moments don't always click for me. And I think that's something you're going to disagree with. So you can say your piece about that. Yeah, so I think I think with this movie, this could have happened for me. I think what saves it is that he doesn't lay it on too thick. I think with the Guardians movies, that was that was like definitely a stronger element of the sort of found family, the goofing around comedy, kind of mixed with that movie's sort of like PG thirteen aesthetic pretty well. I think with this movie, Gunn was smart enough to know that he couldn't do it as strongly as he would in. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which if I had to pick my favorite James Gunn movie, it would be Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And I think a lot of people would disagree with that, I guess. But man, that movie has so much soul to it. And it's one of it's one of the only films he's done that's really stuck with me. I think Guardians, the first one, it sticks out as being the pop arcade blast of a movie. And it's so different, uh, especially at the time. And it was such a great theatrical experience. 
volume two is just such a deeper movie for me and it, it has like such a great emotional arc to it man mel rucker in that movie it's just it's just bonkers to me how good that is as a movie even though i don't think it got its total due from audiences and and even guardians fans so that said, I, what I like about this movie that I don't think he does it too much. I think that he focuses more on like the comedy, the violence, and just the sort of like, let's have a good time. Lots of people are going to die, including characters you like, but that's okay because it's the Suicide Squad. And I don't know. It, there was something about it where like I, I could trace the emotional arcs to an extent. I could see what, where he was going with it. I would agree that like, I don't think that Idris Elba the thing with his daughter isn't that pronounced. I just thought that that was a good example of how he was able to sort of like do that same sort of scene, but in a way that I thought was more interesting personally. I think where the emotional stuff stuck out to me better in here was with Ratcatcher. Like she is the heart of this movie in so many ways. And I think I think she is what kind of makes it really like punch above its weight in terms of like making me care about what's going to happen with these characters. And yeah, I, I just think it's, it's a quirky movie. It's, it's, it's got plenty of flaws, I guess. I think the biggest flaw for me was that the middle section was a bit, it was, it was a bit long in the tooth. There's like whole sections of this movie that could have been a lot tighter. I was thinking about how in quiet place part two, you literally have like all of these scenes happening at the same time and they cut together and you can't take for granted how difficult that is to do in a movie. And I think mm-hmm. I could see in the, in a cut of this movie where they might've tried to merge some of the big set piece scenes in here so that we wouldn't, you know, spend a big chunk of the movie away from the suicide squad. And we go off into this other, you know, subplot going on with a different character in a different part of the Island. And it kind of goes for a while and you're like, where are the other characters? And I bet that they tried something where it was a bit more interwoven and it might've been too confusing. And so I could see some of the flaws there where that's probably like losing people, but man, when they, when, when people kind of are saying what people are saying about this movie, just sort of like not quite working for them. I don't get it, but at the same time, like I kind of get it, (laughs) you know, it's, it is a very specific movie with a very specific wavelength. I don't think it's for everybody, but Holy cow. It was absolutely for me. So yeah, I'll, I'll loop this in, in my final grade. I really dug this. So I'm, I'm a B plus. I think it's just, it's, it's just a, it's just a blast of a comic book film. I think James Gunn is he's just so good at this. And I'm so happy that he got to do this, you know, even though it was under such bad circumstances and he just brings a, a type of energy and, and flair to comic book movies that not a lot of other people do. So uh, kudos to Warner Brothers for giving him a shot to do this, even though in some financial senses, it's not working out quite yet. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not I mean, I, I think we might disagree on some of the finer points of the film, but I think we're not too far off in our estimations, which is that I'm glad the movie exists. I mean, I I think, like you said, the the roundabout way it does exist is probably it wasn't ideal for anybody, but um, it, it is uh, nice that we like I said, it's, it's just fun that we have a movie that's almost $200 million that primarily features characters like Polka Dot Man and Stario the Conqueror and uh, all these lesser characters to some extent um, from the DC canon and, and done in a way that's not, it, it is obviously, like I said, it's, it's flippant, it's irreverent, but there is also there, there are some warm emotional stakes. Like I don't think this is all one big goof for, James Gunn, like, I think he does care about these characters. And I think that's one reason why the Guardians movies works, that he, he clearly puts a lot of heart and soul into it. And he makes the characters individuals. 
uh, individualistic, but also uh, have that that nice camaraderie that you want from a movie like this and and like those films. So, yeah, I mean, I think when I appreciate what I appreciate about his films as far as like the Guardians movies that like I I enjoy them when I'm watching them, but then when I rewatch them, I see more that I like and appreciate, and they kind of grow in my estimation um, over time. And I don't know if that's going to be the case for the Suicide Squad. I was rewatching parts of it and. It was already kind of starting to sour on me a little bit, so that that might not be the case here. But uh, as Brian Talcaro from, I believe, uh, RogerEbert.com said at one Brian point, Talrico. This, Talrico, sorry, uh, he compared this film to a two hundred million dollar trauma movie. Uh, obviously, trauma is where James Gunn got his start back when he was yeah. like in his early twenties. <laughs> and I don't know if that's a hundred percent the case here, but I, I agree with the sentiment as far as like there is a prickly Antarctic quality to this uh, that we don't often see from more conventionally broadly appealing movies like i think even though it is a fairly accessible film more than not i think there there is something about where it's just clearly james gunn is just like he got a whole playground full of like weird toys and it's just like yeah have fun just you know mash them together do whatever you want and just make something fun and entertaining with your weird vision for these characters and by and large, I think he succeeded. Like I think it's a fun night out. The movies. I was never bored watching it, even though it's almost uh, two and a half hours. Like I, I think it moves really well, even when it does have weird sort of tangents. I actually, I think those tangents are for the better. For instance, there's a scene with King Shark in an aquarium that I think is a highlight of the film, even though it it, it is at first kind of a random detour. I, I think that's that's those are moments where it's clear James Gunn is just having fun, just like let's see what I can do with this property and and how weird I can get with it and. Uh, I think that's often for the best. So I'm not quite as high as you are, but um, I, I do think it's it's very enjoyable. And, and I am glad that he pulled this off. And I think I'll give it. I've been between a low B and a high B minus. And traditionally, I feel better when I go lower than when I go too high. So I think I'm going to give it a high B minus. But this is one I do want to rewatch. Like I think it's entertaining enough that I could see myself revisiting it. Later on, I can see my estimation of it growing, same as with the Guardians movies. So uh, that might be the case here. But for now, I think it's a it's a fun B side movie from James Gunn. Not not um, one that I like as much as you, but definitely one that I appreciate existing. So good time with the movies. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of people are liking it. Critics are liking it for the most part. Some people aren't that into it, but you know, it, I think it is one of those movies. To what you're saying, will probably be fondly remembered. Like people will respect the risk more than anything, I think, even if it's not scratching a particular itch they might have right now. And I do want to bring up too, in case anybody misunderstood, you didn't say this, but I, somebody might be misthinking that he directed Tromeo and Juliet. He didn't. Uh, oh, that no, was he the, did. just the first. He co-directed. He, he was associate director, but he wasn't yeah, he like the His feature, his directorial debut officially is Slither. Right. Like where he really like, yeah, because he, he did write Tromeo and Juliet to be fair. Um, but he's yeah, like and, the... Uh, like uncredited director of Tromeo and Juliet. But I'm just talking about trauma in general, not exactly just uh, specifically Tromeo and Juliet, because he has a relationship with trauma uh, beyond that as well. Like he co-wrote Lloyd Kaufman's autobiography and Lloyd Kaufman's in the film as well, as you would expect, because he's in the Guardians movies as well. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, he has a longstanding relationship with uh, trauma as a company. I, I hear it. I hear it. So just wanted to bring that up because I heard that I heard Tromeo, not Troma Entertainment. So, oh, did I? Yeah, I might have. Uh, in the <laughs> I, I think I just misheard you. So I, I was like, oh, wait. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so apologies for that. Sure. But uh, 
yeah, that's uh, that is the Suicide Squad. I think so. We kind of mentioned this already. His next movie is Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume Three. Uh, and I don't know if he's directing anything else besides that. I know he wrote uh, or co-wrote Coyote versus Acme, the Looney Tunes, Wiley Coyote movie. From I think like that's the coming 90s? out in a couple of years. Is that still is that still happening? He like wrote that like in the ninety, like before Scooby Doo. Uh, it's still in like he, he's still credited as doing the movie. I think Chris McKay um, was on as producer. I think he left the project last year. I think that's the last I heard of it. But I think they are still doing it. Um, okay, that's news to me. Um, I know he's doing the Peacemaker show that's going to be on HBO Max. He like wrote every episode of it, and he directed most of them. Uh, he's doing oh, yeah, that before. Have, uh, he's still doing plenty on the TV side. Yeah, and then I think he's doing like a Christmas special for Guardians as well. Um, so he's keeping busy. Yeah, the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting. At first, actually supposed to have some canonical significance not like going to be like a holiday special star wars holiday special type thing but um we'll see i'm, I'm definitely curious about you'd that. only be so lucky sure all right well that's the suicide squad it's available to watch in theaters right now it's also available to watch on hbo max and you know a lot of people are saying that's why it's not doing well because covid is getting worse again so people are probably not risking going to movie theaters in a lot of different places i'm sure that's a factor uh maybe a really big factor and I, I have noticed to that, to the credit of like people who say that, that I was on Letterboxd and I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a movie with this many watched, like logged, um, Letterboxd views and reviews, like in the first weekend, like maybe a Marvel film, but I don't think I've ever noticed, like, I don't think Black Widow was this high at this point. I think a lot of people are watching it and pirating it maybe, um, I, I don't know. And especially because it is R rated. Yeah. So it's a little it's a little harder to get to the theater and see something like this. But all that said, uh, let's move on to our next film. Uh, we oh, that's weird. What's that? I'm so sorry. Well, this is so rude, but somebody's at the door. Let me oh, oh, boy. they are. Hold on one second. Um, oh, God, this is going to be a bit. <laughs> I hope everything's OK. That's weird. Oh. What are these two doing? They're just kind of walking. Do you hear this one? Yeah, I'm hearing some music. I don't know where that music's coming from. Should we just ignore it? I don't, I don't know what's going on, bro. I'm scared. We love each other so much. Is that, is that Adam Driver? Sure sounds like it. Love each other so He's so tall. It's quite lanky, then, boy. We're Wait. Well, he's with somebody. A lady. We love each other so much. Do you, do you know who that is? The one and only Marion Cotillard. She's, yeah, that's her. I recognize her voice. She loves him? Uh, you would... How would you assume that? Wow. I wonder if they're just going to keep saying that over and over again. Yeah, man, this is going to be an interesting conversation. I'm confused, Will. Yeah. This, this song, it's not catchy, but it makes me feel something. Is this a spark song? Would you be surprised if it was? 
I think I'd be over the moon. We love each other so okay, they're they're leaving. I'm I'm gonna shut my door um and lock it. And they just like waltz into your room and start singing and professing their love and, and ride off into a motorcycle and uh go off into that good night. I'm not gonna lie to you, Will. I kinda wanted to go with them. If it wasn't for this okay. show, and I'd want to just leave you hanging. Sure, that'd be fair. I wouldn't. I wouldn't think less of you if you went with them. That uh, that driver, he's a tall drink of water, Annie. Oh, and uh, you bet I'm thirsty. So this week we're talking about Annette, which is a movie, and it came out uh, in limited theat- uh, limited theatrical run. It's mm-hmm. this first week, right? Um, it, it premiered at Cannes, and I don't know if it released in Europe earlier than this week possibly i think if it did it was in france i think that was a few weeks ago if i'm not mistaken i think so so listener you're probably thinking okay well who made this movie and i'll tell you um that would be uh leo's car uh, his first english language film and uh, i I don't know if you're a fan of his work i'm a fan of holy motors um yeah let's see i think that's the only movie i've ever seen from him but that would be the same for me as well that's the my only point of reference for him though i know he was um uh, very uh, influential filmmaker going back oh, yes. uh, from like the 90s and the 80s, maybe even the yeah, 70s. Yeah, Juliette Binoche, one of her earliest roles with uh, Les Amants du Panouf and mm-hmm. uh, Boy Meets Girl, I think was, I think his first big movie. I don't think it was his debut, but that's the one I've, I've heard mentioned quite a bit in like his younger days, but I think that's like yeah. early 80s. And I know he was also um, a film critic. French guy. Came, French guy, by the way. Yeah, but uh, a he film was critic. A, a film critic and then he became a filmmaker maybe he was a filmmaker yeah. and also a film critic at the same time i don't exactly know but i know he's also a critic yeah i don't know too much about his life um i think that i, I think my understanding is that he's been a filmmaker and a film critic kind of like at around the same time i don't know if he when he stopped being a critic or if he stopped being a critic if he did i'd i you know i'd like to learn more about the guy i really don't know much uh, but he's definitely like one thing I know about him is that he is heavily inspired by John Luc Godard. Um, he's definitely one of those guys who like a lot of his movies. They tend to really pay tribute to the French New Wave of the mm-hmm. 50s and 60s, and so which makes sense. I mean, the guy came, you know, into his filmmaking around the 80s and 90s, as we mentioned. Now yeah. he's kind of getting later in his career. He's still kind of a, a young guy. I think he's like in his 60s now, early 60s. And Annette, uh, I think this is his latest film in a few years. Cause he did a, he did a short film. I know that after Holy Motors, but I don't think he did a feature since then. Yeah. And Holy Motors was like the first feature he had done, I believe in a decade. <laughs> you know, So he only seems to make a movie like once a decade, almost uh, at least these days. I, he made a bunch, like he had, he had a run of films. Um, if I'm recalling correctly earlier in his career. So all that said, Annette, you know, I, and I mentioned that and you're like, Oh wow. And then I mentioned, you know, the sparks, you know, they did, we just talked about the Sparks Brothers documentary, but the band yeah. Sparks, uh, Russell Mail, Ron Mail, they did the music for this. And so you listener, you're probably thinking, oh my gosh, well, indie art house movie premiered at Cannes. I bet this movie is like a lean 90 minutes. I bet it's like an hour, <laughs> hour 25, maybe, maybe an hour 30. And uh, listener, what if I told you this was longer than James Gunn's The Suicide Squad is by it? seven minutes? Okay. <laughs> because the suicide squad was 132 minutes so two hours and then 12 minutes this movie two hours and 19 minutes hmm. and I thought they're around the bet, same length 
You better believe that I, yeah, sure. I, I, you better believe sure. I sat down, I sat through the whole credits. I did. How could I not? Um, the film is going to be on Amazon Prime Video later this month. I think August 20th, if I'm not mistaken on that. And yeah. I know that Carax, he's been, he's been working on this movie for a while. If I remember the Cannes coverage, he, he was like in talks doing this film years and years ago. Mm-hmm. I think uh, originally it was going to have Adam Driver, Rooney Mara, and actually Rihanna uh, was in talks to make the yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. They were going to make it, I think, in 2017. And then I don't think they, I think because Driver was doing Star Wars, um, and they also had Michelle Williams come in uh, to replace Rudy, Rooney Mara, which, by the way, I still really wonder what how what Rooney Mara would have been like in this movie. But then Michelle Williams, I can't even find See, I, I'm more curious about the Rihanna version of this film. Very curious about that. Sure. Yeah. I think I think there are aspects of that, though, and I wasn't going to voice it. But considering her history with Chris Brown and kind of what happens in this movie, I kind of think I understand what might have happened there. But, uh, you know, we don't have to speculate. Yeah, I wasn't planning to speculate. I just. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then Marion Cotillard, she she replaced Michelle Williams and they shot this in like 2019 or so. So now we're finally getting it. Uh, Simon Helberg. Also in this movie, I know, Will, you've told me many times, you know, you don't want anybody to know this, but you're a little basic. You love Big Bang Theory. It's your favorite show? Uh, no, not at all. I, I, I think <laughs> it's uh, more offensive than people give it credit. <laughs> um, well, that's weird then that you watched every episode. You did an after show with the cast. Uh, I've I'm seen sorry. several <laughs> episodes of the show. Uh, I mean, I, I, my opinion does not come from like a handful of episodes. I've, I've seen probably like a season's worth of the show. And, uh, I hear you. I, I watched the first three seasons. Um, oh, man, I think I binged it. Yeah. Like in 2010 or something. And then I stopped, I was like, this show's kind of dumb. Uh, it's but anyway, awful. I like Simon Helberg though. I always yeah, like nothing. Simon Helberg. I have nothing against any of the actors in the show. Honestly, I, yeah, I think yeah. they all, they all did what as to be expected. With they the got material. money. They got paid. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they can all, <laughs> comfortably retire if they want so if they do something it's because they want to do it so you know something like this yeah Mm -hmm. i think the last movie i saw simon halberg in was uh florence foster jenkins the uh biopic oh yeah he was yeah that was a while back 2016 same year as squad (laughs) it's all first full circle so annette will do you want to try to describe what this movie is about or do you want to avoid that responsibility <laughs> well it's it's not that i want to avoid it i just don't know how much you want to give away because it's one of those type mm. of films where it's like uh like is the surprise factor part of it like i mean like the the broad strokes of the plot i guess is that it's a like pop rock opera uh like you said sure. from the original music of the sparks uh and it tells a potentially autobiographical type story about a um artist who struggles to voice his like uh just general disdain for the world like he has this kind of brooding uh hyper masculinity to his art that is like about like killing the audience whereas his love interest played by marion cultiard is about dying every day on stage and they have this kind of like yin yang relationship that that fosters uh, a child at one point and uh over the course of parenthood a lot of uh 
difficulties ensue, particularly with the father's image being tarnished from a number of different reasons. And uh, I feel like that's the most I want to say without giving anything away, because I think the rest of it is just a matter of kind of being absorbed into the uh, operaticism of this very strange, over-the-top, melodramatic movie. Yeah, yeah, melodramatic, great word for that. Um, yeah, it, it is hard to describe this movie without giving too much away, so we're going to be very careful, and uh, I think that you did that well. So one thing I'll say is that, once again, did not see a trailer. I had no idea what I was in for with this movie. I had heard one scene sort of described, like something involving Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard's like sex scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, how could how could you miss that off the presses? People were people I mean, couldn't wait spoiler. to share that tidbit. We could talk about. I mean, they, there's a conlinga scene, and it's fairly early on, and it's uh, while they're singing, they're singing. Yeah, 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 and it's uh, quite awesome. <laughs> there you go. I think <laughs> this is going to be a conversation, isn't it? So this movie is unhinged. Like it is just it. There, I I don't know. I I do not know what Leo Carax was thinking but he certainly he certainly did something here and this is not one of those movies that's easy to just sort of watch and be like oh i watched a movie like no it sticks with you the Mm -hmm. whole day after to the point where like you're sitting down over your bowl of cereal and people are trying to get your attention of like john you know we got it we got to get the kids to school and this is a fake situation i have kids but you know like come on you're gonna be late for work but i'm just sort of like you know, I have Sparks music just like ringing in my ears and like wooden babies crawling in my brain. And it, it's just an odd baby. movie. I love the puppet. I love the puppet baby in this. Oh uh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of, uh, oh my gosh, Will's going to be thinking of Pinocchio. He's going to be thinking of. You're thinking of like the Jonathan Taylor Thomas one? Yeah. Okay. Because that, well, I don't, yeah, I still haven't seen the other one that you were a fan of. Oh, yes. Um, the Roberto Benini one that came out last year. Yeah. Uh, good movie that Pinocchio <laughs> uh, and good movie. Did, Annette. Did I, I Annette. like Annette. Yeah. Good movie. <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to, you just want to cut right to it. Huh? Yeah. I think I hated this movie. I know. I think I just, <laughs> I sat through this movie wanting it to end. And I, I understand partly what it's trying to do. It's not that it's going over my head. I just, I just have this this big neon sign hanging over me while I'm watching this. It's just why. And I had such a hard time getting through this. I just didn't care. I think once we get past his like comedy special, which has hints of, okay, this is something that I'm going to enjoy where it's such a rock opera that the audience is singing back to him. I was like, yeah, yes. all right, I'm in. This is fun. I think what this movie does with Marion Cotillard, what it does with women in general, what it does to sort of just prop up this, you know, hyper masculinity, as you're saying, with Adam Driver, just to just force us through hours of misery for no reason, it feels to me. Th- this should have been a short film. This would have been an amazing 20, 25 minute short film. Instead, it's a two and a half hour slog. Yeah, I've heard you say that, and I genuinely can't imagine the short film version of this film. Like, with everything I it's can't. trying to say. If anything, I think it's trying to say too much. Like, I, I can't imagine a condensed version of this film. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And it should just cut out all the stuff it says that, honestly, it just doesn't need to say. That but I, just, I think you're advocating for, like, the boring version of this film. 
My- I'm advocating for the for the version of this film that makes sense, that is focused and coherent. And I don't just mean coherent that it makes sense like the mat like I don't know, like the plot is easy to follow. Like it's not like you're watching this and you're confused. It's not that abstract. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It just goes off on so many tangents and it just it sits on a scene for so long. And when the point has to be made 30 times. Yeah. And I mean, well, I, yeah, I mean, it's a very hyper liberal or hyper liberal, hyper literal film um, as far as like how it's trying to make its points over and over again, which I think was deliberate in that, like it's, it's emulating operatic style where like operas, if you like, you know, see translations of what the text is, it's very like the characters just explicitly uh, pronouncing their emotions, obviously, and very like, musical ways but um you know it's just like them kind of just like bellowing out their their voices and their frustrations and i think what i find fascinating about the film is that we're seeing it from the perspective of it's an opera from the perspective and viewpoint of a character who can't really sing (laughs) uh and i think that's what i find so endearing and fascinating about is that it's about this kind of brutish like literal apish man who like can't really like voice his frustrations with the world and like he like clearly wants to say things and as like this toxic white male he feels like he society kind of emboldens him to do so but like he just like he can't really tell jokes he can't really like voice his literal voice like he just like he tries to say all these like profound deep things but he's just incapable of actually saying anything deep or profound and he is counterpoint by a woman who's just like has this very bold and beautiful voice and that like enrages him and frustrates him and i get that like yeah i agree with what you're saying like the way it it views women is troubling concerning but if we're viewing it from that male's perspective i think that's part of the point and i think that that adds to the messaging and themes of the film and i found that to be effective yeah it wasn't effective for me it just i just felt like it was pounding me in the head with its point and I I just really struggled to to connect with this. I think because, and and I should say too, I love Adam Driver. I guess I I need to get yeah. that out of the way. He's very good in this. I think. I was thinking so many times during this, I was like, I mean, this is what I asked for, isn't it? I wanted an Adam Driver musical. I asked. I was like, after Marriage Story, and he belted out Sondheim. I was like, sure. Yeah. Is he? T- he's not technically a great singer, but the man knows how to put himself into a song even even a sondheim you know ballad that he has no business singing i think that in this movie he's not the problem cotillard's not the problem because i think that he kind of saves this movie from being an f for me um Hmm. because at least one thing i get out of this is a terrific adam driver performance like the kind of adam driver performance i can't believe is real i it's just it, it's 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 unreal. It's surreal. There is a scene with him and Marion Cotillard, who I think gets a bit shafted in this movie. Personally, that she could have had more to do. Yeah, I just think that she just gets genuinely trounced by the writing. Yeah. You could say whatever you want out. to call it. Yeah, hmm? you could say drowned out. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> His bass overpowering her soprano. Yeah, yeah. Um. I just think that I like what this movie is going after. It's talking about how everybody's performing, mm-hmm. you know, even if you're in the audience, you know, the idea of 
a comedian getting up there and telling jokes. It's an absurd thing when you actually take it out of context and you put the the veil of like a, an opera on it. And it's so weird to me that this doesn't work for me because it, it should be my thing. It should be something that should have knocked me off my feet. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's because I didn't see it on the big screen, but maybe it could be this kind of thing where for me, a rock opera that is so moody and downtrodden is just not something I react to. Maybe for some people it is, but if I'm watching a rock opera, I want at least a little fun. And I, it's a weird thing to ask of this movie. It's not trying to be fun. And I don't want it. I don't want to say that this movie would have worked if it, for me, if it had been fun, it's just something about the way that it is like, the kinds of things it's doing, but being so straight and so self-serious is just a mixture that like my taste buds just don't react to that. I'm sure for other people is going to taste like fine wine or something. Does, does that make any sense? Or are you just upset with me? Some of it does. Like, I, I mean, I think I should be explicit in just like this movie is farcical. Like it's not self-serious all the time. Like it's very directly comicking and lampooning the art industry by large and not just like the comic side of it just in general just like the the facticity of you know being a celebrity and stuff and just the the absurdity of it just by nature and and having this be a companion piece to holy motors i think commenting on a lot of the same things is that almost the point where it sort of feels like a spiritual sequel to it um not that I think that this movie is quite as good as Holy Motors or is quite as effective, even though that movie is also not, you know, for everybody. Um, I, I, I think where I can disagree, where I agree with you in that if I had not seen this in theaters, I probably would have paused a lot and like walked around and like probably watched it in chunks just because it is a frustrating film to watch and it, it does demand a good bit of you. And certainly in the beginning of the film, outside of the opening scene, which is delightful, um, I, I think it is a taxing and uh, stubborn film to sit through. But once I kind of reckoned with what I think it's trying to do and what the filmmakers are saying, uh, both the director and Sparks, uh, I found it to be effective and sort of disarming. And, and like I was saying before, I think it's trying to do too much and say too much. But I do think it is a very thoughtful and articulate film, even to a point where it is being pretty precious about it and in, in, in having a style that that. Uh, maybe is too like self-conscious and like trying to do too much and and having a sense uh, self-awareness that I think kind of takes away from some of the raw earnestness that's trying to uh, emote but um, at the same time I just like that a film like this exists and it's at this weird and it's trying to do this much and uh, by the end of it I found myself uh, taken by it and I don't expect that for most people. And I, I know this is going to be a challenging and frustrating film for a lot of people. And I'm not going to fight anybody against it. But I do think it is effective as far as what it's trying to do. And I think people will appreciate it if they, you know, want to accept it on its own terms. But I know it's a big ass for a lot of people. Well, two two words I'm going to have to heavy push back on describing this film are uh, articulate and earnest. I, I didn't pick up on any of that. I, I didn't think Did I say earnest? And, uh, you said an earnestness. Sure. I mean, I think there is an earnestness to it, I guess. But like, um, I don't know. I, I think it is also like kind of poking the bear and being like satirotic at the same time. It's more kabuki theater in a way. I mean, sure. kind of literally to an extent. Yeah. 
Well, that's I mean, when you make a movie about a comedian, that's that's to be expected, I guess. With puppets. Look, yes. and it, look, I, I absolutely it's like we talked about in the Sparks documentary. I absolutely appreciate artists making their stuff and just kind of swinging. You know, I just got to be honest with like how this movie to what you're saying kind of frustrates me and how I want I want the message here to come through for me. For me, what did come through about this movie, what he kind of sells in a way that uh, cracks did what he kind of sells in a way that I think this movie gets right is just this concept. Three words. Fame is tragedy. Just you don't want it. Fame is poison. It's going to infect everything about you and the people you love. It just breeds jealousy and regret and disappointment. And it's not the most nuanced thing about this movie, I don't think. I mean, it, it kind of just sort of, it's almost like a presupposition of this movie. It's like watching a train wreck happening a mile away, but the passengers don't really see it's coming except for maybe one or two. And that to me, like adds to the misery of watching it because like that kind of experience just makes me cringe because I, I just can't handle something like this in execution, even though I can look at it academically and I can say like, man, corrects, he just knows how to put scenes together. He knows how to blend photography with this highly original score, highly original music. And of course, have the sense to hire Adam Driver for, you know, I, I, who I would consider right now one of our most exciting actors. And I don't know. I think that I've heard some people say that this is going to be like a Moulin Rouge situation where it's something that. Uh, this is better than Moulin Rouge, I'm going to say. <laughs> I know you would say that. Um, but I'm just I'm just going to speak for some of the people who are like how polarizing that. Oh, musical yeah, it's definitely was. polarizing. Yeah. I think that's what people are getting at. I mean, it's a very different film in so many ways. But like, I think the idea of it being just a sort of like tragedy musical, kind of like dressed up in pomp and circumstance that critics are going to be kind of split on and, and all this crazy stuff. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's what's going to happen down the line for it. I think people are going to kind of forget about this movie when it comes to the masses. Like if they even have thought about it in the first place, I, I don't think it's going to make much of a splash, honestly. Uh, except with people who really love film and they love Leo Carax and they're going to bring this movie up a lot, I think, during award season. But I, I don't see this being much of a, I don't know, buzzy awards film. I, I don't think it's designed for that sort of oh, thing. No. But I could be wrong. It could be like, you know, best production design, you know, stuff like that. No, I mean, like outside of like maybe like sight and sound, I don't think it's going to be recognized much. Like even like you said, critically, I think it's too divisive for it to be to earn any like concisive, I think, opinions by uh, by critics at large or, you know, by awards metrics at large. But yeah, I mean, I don't I mean, I have no idea what the uh, longevity of the film is going to be. I could see this earning something of like a cult following, particularly among um, driver fans, just for like the fact that it is so weird and so outlandish and willing to make so many strange artistic choices and the uh, spirit of artistic interpretation and merit and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, I, I found it to be more fun than I think you're suggesting, but I, I do agree with you that it is a long sit. You kind of have to like wrestle with it a lot in a way that I can understand if people just want to turn their brains off and uh, not think too much about what the film is. Even one like this that is at once trying to be very like literate and, uh, blunt but also kind of obtuse and difficult to decipher 
Um, like I understand that. Yeah, like I said, I'm not going to fight people because I understand that this movie is by design meant to be kind of challenging and frustrating to watch. And it's not one that's like by and large going to appeal to general broad audiences, even seeing it in a traditional art house theater. I felt the response from the audience was fairly divisive. Uh, probably the most so in a theater setting that I've seen since like mother, the Darren Aronofsky movie, uh, which is so weird to think that that got a wide release, but um, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, this is a, this is one that I can, I think it's more of a me thing than uh, one that I would like recommend broadly. But I think if it's, if something that's of interest to you or something you think like, Oh, I, I at least want to see it to test it out. I think it's worth checking out, especially if you can see it in theaters. Um, I'm bummed that you didn't get the chance to see it in theaters just because it is such a kind of overwhelming theatrical experience that uh, even if I think you don't like the film, you kind of have to respect it on that sense. And I, I imagine seeing it at home is just a lesser experience for that reason. But yeah, I would give it, uh, I would, you know, like watching the film, I went through a bunch of different grades, like, you know, one point I'm like, this is a C minus. One point I'm like, this is an A minus. Sometimes I'm like, this is a B plus, a B, C plus, you know, B minus, whatever. And I ultimately land on it being a B. A I plus. enjoyed it. No, <laughs> yeah, that would be funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 I think there's a lot here that's uh, discernible. I think there's a lot of things that you can, you know, argue justly and not about like what it does right or wrong or what's trying to do or how it uses certain things. Um, but I just respect the hustle here. I think it's a type of film like, especially this summer where like everything has been a slog and mediocrity for the most part. I, I find something like this to be pretty refreshing, even if it isn't uh, always an easy one to sit with or watch. Uh, I just, I, I respect the hustle here. Like I said, the craftsmanship, what they're trying to do. And uh, it has a cool little puppet baby that was uh, something that you don't get in most other films. So with that, I give it, like I said, a pretty warm and admirable B. Warm, admirable B. Okay. Well, I give it a C. C for car acts. Um, C for Caroline Champetier, the cinematographer. Lots of credit to to her. I think uh, she did great. Yeah. Um, great French cinematographer. Yeah. Great production design, too. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I do respect a movie that understands that we should be afraid of Adam Driver. I'll say that much. And I think that it's the kind of movie that I would maybe recommend if you are a completist and you just want to watch some of the most striking films of the year with one of the most pronounced casts. I think that this is, you can't go wrong with this. I just think that, yeah, it just has such a barrier for me. It made me think so much of like other movies that I do want to see instead. You know, it's so weird. It's so random, but I, I had a thought. I was like, you know, I want to rewatch Saving Mr. Banks. It's not a very good movie. Uh, like I, it's okay. I, I, that's like a B minus kind of movie, but I just had this feeling. I was like, I, I, I want to see Tom Hanks play Walt Disney. You know, it made me want to okay. be that basic. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. Will I, my mind went through so many, can you blame me after the fever dream? That is this movie for having weird. And I did yes. it. I watched saving Mr. Banks the next day. So there you go. I don't know. I just like not to jump the gun here, but like, I just don't like, like a Nets movie that I've still wrestled with. And the guy I saw it with, like we were talking, like we watched the movie, we went to the bar and talked about it. We, you know, went home the next day we got together and we still were talking about the movie. And that's like what I like as opposed to something like Vivo. But this was Simon Helberg, right? You saw it with? Sure. Uh, who's very good in this, I think. Uh, uh, it's nice to see him give a good performance again. 
Um, but not that he's bad in Big Bang Theory. I'm sure he's fine. But um, yeah, I mean, comparing that to something, another musical like Bevo, which I saw today and felt largely indifferent to <laughs> uh, and I've mostly forgotten about is just like, you know, if, if we're going to get movies one way or another, I'd, I'd much rather see a bunch of Annette's than movies that aren't Annette. So that's just my opinion. Well, that is Annette's. It's going to be on Amazon Prime Video later this month, but you can see it in select theaters now. And Will recommends it with a B. I say maybe skip it with a C. And box office wise, it's made about $72 million worldwide. Just kidding. Mm. That was Suicide Squad. Um, it's made $2 million, uh, so far at the box office. That's higher office. than I anticipated. Same here, actually. But I mean, it's a French film. I think most of that's in France. So I think they've uh, they've responded differently to this movie for whatever reason. I mean, I think Carax has his name goes pretty far over there. Yeah. But yeah, that's Annette. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Another no. person at the door. Who could this be? Oh, my. Pull one for King Shark. I just don't have time for this. I, I need to hurry up. And uh, Will, this is weird. There's a there's a kid at the front door. Okay. What? What is she doing? Uh, oh God. Well, do you know this woman? Oh man! Whoa! I didn't want to ever hear this song again. Because <laughs> you love it, so you don't want to get sick of it. Yeah. Sure, we'll say that. Um. I'm moving the microphone away from her. She's she's getting louder. Yeah. Do you know who this is? I wish I did. Is this your kid? This is the point of no return for me in the movie, I think. Like this is when it broke for me. Like I was kind of with it before and then I was just like, nope. This this was the point? Yeah. I, mean, I don't want to jump ahead. I mean, I'm going to shut the door. Uh, okay. Maybe you should leave if I just. We're going to talk about a movie called Vivo. Yeah. And Vivo. funny enough, the yeah, that kid at the door just now looked a lot like the kid in the movie, Gabby. Hmm. But that could just be me. Uh, so this movie is a musical film. It was directed by Leo Carax. Just kidding. <laughs> Leo Carax is Vivo. <laughs> Imagine. No, it's a musical, animated musical. Uh, computer animated musical, I guess we should say. Mm-hmm. Um, that was made by Sony Pictures Animation. This is their third Netflix collaboration of the year. So they did Mitchells versus the Machines. Then they did mm-hmm. Wish Dragon. And now this. And I'd have to say Diminishing Returns. <laughs> I'd say Mitchells uh... versus the Machines. One of the best movies of the year for me. Wish Dragon, yikes. Vivo? Wow. I think this is a little better than Wish Dragon. Really? Maybe. Maybe. Really? Okay. Maybe. All right. I'm interested. Um, now I, I'll say, I'll say this at the forefront thing that I appreciate about this movie. It takes place at least partly in the Caribbean. It's kind of cool to see Cuba sort of painted and like, I don't know sometimes Cuba is just painted in this like weird light, this like extremely ignorant, you know, American, you know, way. Like they don't understand what life is like in Cuba. Now I'm not from Cuba or anything. I'm from Puerto Rico, but like, I don't know. There's just this like whole mentality of like countries in the Caribbean and stuff. And like the islands being like nothing but destitute and tragic and all this. Not- These are bright, lovely, vibrant places. They're wonderful locations. Um, and when this movie starts, we get introduced to the main character of 
this film that's set in Cuba and they have so many animals to pick from, you know, as like the lovable main character. So what do they do, Will Ashton? <laughs> they take a South American animal and mm. just be like, and then this animal showed up on the island one day and that's your main character. Nothing to do with Cuba. I think it's like a South American honey bear, a kinkajou. Yeah. Which I, I didn't even know what that was before I saw this movie. Yeah. But yeah, it's named Vivo. And mm-hmm. I will say the movie starts and we see this lovable little monkey looking creature come up and we have this nice old man playing a song and you're and I'm thinking to myself, all right, I'm excited. This this looks like a pleasant, nice movie. Yeah. It's 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 got music. It's it's got this Latin American culture to it. I could just sit down. I could have some tostones. I could I could have some cafe con leche. It's like in the heights, but you know. Wait, did I just say in the heights, Will Ashton? Mm. That's right. All of a sudden, Vivo starts rapping, and he's Lin Manuel Miranda, and I hate everything. I hate what's going on. I hate that. Now I have to be sick of Lin-Manuel Miranda as a performer. This is the point that you got this sick This is of? the point okay. that happened. Wait, what was See, the point I found him, well, I don't know, but I felt like he was much more tolerable in this than he was in, in The Heights, where he's just like, Does he hey. barely end in The Heights? Here but he's in he the felt, movie. It, but that was a movie where it felt like his ego was getting into it. I mean, I still don't know if that was him or Warner Brothers. It's like, we have to devote 15 minutes of the movie to his character. And, you know, taking away from other main characters stories, the focus 15 on minutes is exaggerating. It's like two yeah. and a half, maybe three minutes. But if I had to, I mean, In the Heights is a better film unquestionably than Vivo. But if I had to spend more time with the character of Vivo or the um, character that he played in, in the, the Heights. Pi- Piago uh, guy? Yeah, I would I would pick Vivo, the, the rapid monkey. No way, Jose. I would hang out with him. I would hang, have some like Pirago with the guy, some Mame. Like, come on. This movie, he, this is my first big thing with this movie. It's terrible casting. It's like, it's nothing wrong with Lamin Well Miranda necessarily. It's just the voice doesn't match. Which like is this weird. little yellow kinkajou. It just doesn't match. So it's just like, well, why did you? Yeah. And then the rapping does not match anything in this movie. And it just yeah. sounds like the kids Bob version, which is already kind of a kids Bob version of Hamilton. It doesn't sound unique or distinct from stuff he's done before. So it's just so tired. I was so annoyed. Well, that's a weird thing for me. Is that like, I, I mean, I'm presuming here, but like he came up with a pitch for this movie, right? Uh, or like the, the broad pitch of the film. And it's like kind of fostering his idea. And I presume that the character of Eva was created with Lin-Manuel Miranda in mind. And yet it feels like Lin-Manuel Miranda wasn't designed for this character. Like he filled in for somebody else. And that's like the weird kind of contradiction of the film that I found just frankly, just kind of perplexing. Yeah, I was wondering that too, because the story behind this movie is that Lin-Manuel Miranda actually pitched like... Not the story of this movie, but kind of like the basic concept of the vibes, sure, (laughs) of doing this kind of movie. He did this like shortly after In the Heights took off on Broadway. Um, This was way before Hamilton. And uh, originally DreamWorks was going to make this. 
Uh, eventually, they they let Sony Pictures Animation acquire it. Oh, that way makes back in 2016. So much sense. This feels like Doesn't a DreamWorks it? movie. Yeah, <laughs> it really does. Uh, even even down to like the animation itself. Now, this movie it was kind of picked up, and the story was mostly done by Peter Barsuccini, but then also some of it was um, by Lin-Manuel Miranda's often collaborator and writing partner, Chiara Alegria Jurez, who did the screenplay, yeah. of course, for In the Heights. We talked mm -hmm. about her earlier this year. Uh, she did the script with Kirk D'Amico. Kirk D'Amico uh, directed the film. So this is the guy who he wrote and directed The Croods. Now, Will, I got to uh, tell you, I've never seen The Croods. Um, uh, Co-director, excuse me. Yeah, with Chris Sanders. Um, but he also did Space Chimps, which leads me to Space wonder. Space Chimps, horrible what? movie. Sure, but what what's the deal like? What's his deal with like apes and chimps? Like he's done three movies well, now. Like there's like sure. the, the slapping apes or whatever from the Crudes, and then obviously Space Chimps is all, all chimps, and then there's this movie about you know a little tiny rapid monkey. So it's just like, what's does he like really like 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 monkeys? Like is that what he devoted his career to doing? <laughs> is yeah. Well, uh, I'll I'll say this much. Um, Kirk D'Amico was one of the co-writers, one of four, I think, for a film with no chimps in it, but a film that I really liked as a kid. I don't know if it holds up, but Quest for Camelot. You ever see Quest for Camelot? Oh, you better 19... believe I have. <laughs> I've heard it does not hold up, but I haven't seen it since my youth. Okay, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised, but I remember a lot of that movie, like an embarrassing amount. Sure. Um, it, was a, it was definitely on the VHS shelf for young John. Mm -hmm. um and i guess you too so kirk d'amico yeah that was his first movie that he ever worked on he was a co-writer he's co-written a bunch of other stuff along his career but space chimps what you're saying was his first film um as director other than that and you know the crudes yeah vivo you know is is his next thing right and pretty different film uh from what i can tell again i haven't seen the crudes but i know people like the crudes so i'm kind of surprised that like this film is sort of like I don't know. It, it makes me wonder why people like the Croods as much as they do, if this is any indication, but I won't speak to that. The film also stars the voice talents of Brian Tyree Henry, Michael Rooker, Nicole Byer, Gloria Estefan, Zoe Saldana. And I, and I, I got a shout out in Sima. We were kind of roasting her a little bit, just, you know, not, not maliciously or personally, but the beat of her on John, but that whole thing. And then, um, oh, Wanda yeah, I'm I'm only talking about the song. I have nothing against the, yes. the child. The child is fine. I'm actually quite wonderful in this movie. And yes, right. A good voice performance. Yeah. I thought it, it was a good it voice performance. Yeah. And that's good singing voice. Um, but just, you know, the writing around that character is it's something. So Vivo, you know, and I kind of mentioned this too. My other frustration with this is like, okay, so the Kinkajou starts rapping. I'm like, well, fine. The Kinkajou's gonna rap. But at least we have this pleasant, nice, animated little musical. It's in Cuba, and Cuba is fun. I'm so glad we're going to be in Cuba for this movie. And then the movie's like, just kidding. We're going to spend most of our time in Florida. Florida. You have this wonderful location, this beautiful setting. Like, imagine, Will, if in, like, Coco, Miguel is mm -hmm. like, well, I got to leave. I got to get out of here. I got to go <laughs> find... You know, my great, my grandfather, great, great grandfather. Yeah. And it's like, I got to get to Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> he crosses the bridge. 
<laughs> and it's not the land of the dead. It's a Waffle House. Um, it's just so distressing because this movie goes to Florida and like, look, nothing against Florida. Well, actually, I have a lot against Florida. I, I but I can say that because my family lives in Florida and Florida is a big pain point for me as just a human being in 2021. But that said, I mean, of all the locations, it's just very strange to me to like to go from this really cool location with uh, they kind of start the movie off with really fun characters and a fun setup. And then it just sort of devolves into Vivo's owner, the the one who got away, is this famous singer voiced by Gloria Estefan and her feral performances in Miami. And uh, Andre can't make it to the show, but he wants to deliver this song that he wrote for her. And Vivo's like, well, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't care at first, but then he's like, well, you know, reluctant hero, this is a Joseph Campbell thing. And so I'm going to deliver the letter for Andre out of my love for him. And I'm going to go all the way to Miami. And then he has to go on this journey with Gabby, Andre's niece. And they go on an adventure, basically mostly through like the Everglades, which that was another weird thing. This movie is there's not a lot of like locations. It's you're kind of in Key West for part of it. And then you're in the Everglades and then you're in Miami. And it's kind of just it's pretty simple. Um, there's high jinks, slapstick, environmental Girl Scouts, and uh, kind of a fun python at one point. Other than that, there's not much to sing about with Vivo. I thought this movie was pretty, pretty lame. Um, but, it, you know, I, I don't want to sound like it's a bad movie necessarily. I actually think that it's pretty passable as a family film. There mm-hmm. are just some hangups I have with it that really keep me from talking about it enthusiastically. Sure. Uh, I mean, don't forget about the horny flamingos. I, I noticed you didn't mention spoon those. Bills, in your... Actually, sure. sorry. Fair um, enough. That's yeah. that's my bad. They come and go a little too fast. I kind of I kind of liked their whole. Uh, deal. I thought the, I thought they're very filler. Like it felt like we need to yes. pad this out for five or seven more minutes. What can we do? Let's get some hoarding. <laughs> birds in the movie <laughs> <laughs> i don't know because this is 99 minutes long and i think nine of those minutes were devoted to these spoon bills so yeah. maybe but anyway uh what do you think of vivo will i mean you've kind of already voiced some of it but i you know i i'm being kind of mean but there are things i liked about it do you like anything about this movie i mean i was with it for like i want to say the first 20 ish minutes like i was like man are we gonna have like two movies back to two musicals on this in this episode where I have to like passionately defend them. Uh, yeah, because like you said, like the Cuba moments are they're so vibrant, full of life. Uh, you know, they're inspired. It, it, the animation, I think, throughout the movie looks very good. And I like the like mix of like kind of like the cartoonish goofy look. But there's also like some like hyper realistic like uh, backgrounds and stuff like that. And it, it yeah. mends together pretty well. It's um, similar I'm to never... Wish Dragon, but it's a little bit more textured and it feels a little bit more lived in. Yeah. And you could tell that this was clearly supposed to be like a big theatrical release. And it's kind of sad to see it like at home, like Wish Dragon. I don't know. Maybe that that might have one might have gotten a theatrical release might have always been meant for Netflix. Like this is like clearly this was meant to be like a big, broad theatrical experience. And it's kind of sad to see it thrown onto Netflix sort of uh, with little notice or care from Netflix, I'd say. But yeah, I mean, I th- I think it's like a big balloon. It just like after a point, it just starts to deflate more and more as it goes along, especially because like you said, like, you know, because like it's a little generic at the beginning, like an, an older mentor figure and his like pet sidekick. 
stuff we've seen before, but the music's fun. There's like a, a good beat to it. It moves well. And it's like, all right, then we have to go to America. It's like, all right, that's kind of played out, but let's see where this goes. Now we have a quirky kid sidekick. It's like, oh, okay, well, we got this thing. Yeah, it's a road trip movie. It's like, oh, of course it's a road trip movie. Uh, and it's just like, it just feels like it's playing all the expected beats in a way that uh, it's just tiresome because it felt like there was potential at the beginning here, even given the misgivings of uh, the miscasting of Lin-Manuel Miranda. I don't think he necessarily gives a bad performance. It just feels like he really just wasn't right for the part and that they tried to make it work for him. It just doesn't quite click ultimately, but I was willing to even forgive that for like, you know, first 30 minutes or so. But then, yeah, just once it became so generic to the point where it just felt like a billion other movies, billion other family movies in this vein, it just, it just kind of hard to care or really have an invested interest in it just because you can, you just know instinctively where this is going to go and how it's going to play out. And it just, it just feels like you're kind of waiting for them to like hit the expected beats when they are supposed to be hit. Uh, and even like the odd interludes, like we said, like the horny birds and stuff just feel more random than like in entertaining or amusing. It's just kind of just like, OK, I guess we can do that. Sure. We can have a uh, uh, Michael Roker snake at this, I guess. Why not? I mean, I guess the only like side character that really stood out to me were the the Girl Scouts because they're that's a kind of a funny idea. But it also felt like the movie didn't really know what to do with those characters for most of the film. So. It wasn't like they were like hilariously funny. It's just more like, yeah, it's like kind of a funny idea, I guess. But one that felt uh, sort of half written by design. So it's it's not that this movie, like you said, is bad or anything. It just feels like it was more of a missed opportunity because it plays it so safe and expected in what it's trying to do to the point where it just doesn't have much of its own identity, even though it starts out strong. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. It's like it has the makings of something really special and lovely and great for kids. I still think that it's it, it's an easy one to recommend to kids. You know, I'd recommend it to my nieces. And I think they're going to watch this and probably be like, ah, oh, that's neat. And then kind of move on with their lives. I mean, that's kind of what I did. I watched it and I, I remember it. Like, I, you know, it's not like the movie is like completely disappeared. But in terms of just the movie sticking with me or like having a real effect, it just kind of doesn't. And I think that it comes down to a lot of the music for me. I mean, I can't hum any of the songs. Um, I mean, beat of, beat of the drum thing, I, that one, yeah, that one's kind of designed to be like a catchy earworm. And so it does get that across, but the song itself, I hate like just the writing Awful of song. it. Yeah. And like, I think that the, the big, the big misfire with this movie is the right, like there are three main things. I've already touched on the first two, the setting and the voice acting for the Kinkachu, just all of that stuff. I think the other thing, and I guess, and also that loops in the rapping. I, I just think the rapping is ridiculous, but when they actually sing, I do like the music and I think the music is nice. It's, it's fine. You know, as long as it's, you know, not Lin-Manuel Miranda rapping. We don't need that any more of that. We got a lot of it especially this year, especially the last few years. And I think that we could use a break. And I still think that Lin-Manuel Miranda is, you know, a good songwriter. I think the music in Moana is probably some of my favorite stuff that he's done. Um, even, even compared to like to Hamilton, I think Hamilton's really good and everything, but yeah, I think that the music in Moana, I think, I don't know. There, there was something about it that I was a little bit more, uh, I don't know, special. I, that music just really hit me in a different way, I guess. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Hamilton, I, I, don't, I don't remember a lot of Hamilton in terms of music. I just think that it's more about the whole presentation, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. I mean, one thought that did cross my mind as I was watching this film is that like, if I just had the sound off for the whole thing, I think I would have liked it more. <laughs> Not because I dislike the music or anything, but I just think the visuals are a lot more interesting and uh, involving that like the, the the music of it is just fine, but it's like to be expected. It just like, it feels like sea level tracks from the memoranda and it's like, you know, they're competent and he yeah, can whatever produce, you had like, in his drawer that was sure. like left over from other movies, you know, which is why I feel it's odd that this was like a decade spanning passion project of some sort for him. Like, I just don't really see like if he just like was so busy with other projects, they couldn't really commit to this or if he just never really had a fully fleshed idea, just like a baseline premise for what it should be. But well, he wasn't a producer. You know, yeah. we shouldn't we shouldn't make it sound like I, I know a, you're just you're saying with yeah. the music especially, but I don't know. I I think that I wouldn't put all the blame on him necessarily. I'm I not. I'm not trying to. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's just like, uh, you know, I, I like Crudes, but I think most of that movie's success is based on Chris Sanders. You know, he just like you know a great director worked on some of the you know the classic Disney movies, and I think he, you know, makes that movie work. And you know if, if the only other film we have to compare Kirk uh, D'Amico's filmography is Space Jam. So I think it just, he just probably makes like fairly generic, uh, weirdly chimp centric movies. Uh, <laughs> well, I think yeah. with Miranda too, if I had to get into like theory territory, I think so. He started working on the music for this, like right after Moana comes out and Hamilton is like still on Broadway and mm-hmm. he's still, I think, I think the dude was probably burned out. Honestly, that'd be my guess. Yeah. You know, like he made this like in the wake of Hamilton. And I think that the guy just I think there might have been something to like stuff that was hanging out in the drawer (laughs) because like I've listened to the full Moana soundtrack of like the unreleased tracks. And he made a lot of music for that movie that never saw the light of day. And I just think the guy was like hustling uh, to the point where this movie maybe fell by the wayside a little bit to what you're saying. And uh, it's kind of coming out kind of late. So maybe part of the reason the music feels so outdated is because it's been so long in the making and and i i sorry what i i meant to mention the third thing and i i went on the tangent um it's it's the character of gabby i i think that like she represents everything i can't stand about what hollywood screenwriters think kids are like yeah and i just she's got attitude (laughs) where it's like this whole idea that like a kid is individualistic if their hair is purple that's what her character comes down to nothing about her her. hair is quite purple it's hard (laughs) to deny that but like this movie wants you to believe that she's weird she's off-putting she marches to the beat of her own drum or whatever but like where'd you get she's not lilo from lilo and stitch (laughs) yeah exactly you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like that is a character where like they actually put effort into writing a kid this movie is just like, I imagine the screenwriter has their own kid or niece or something. And it's like, she, she said this thing that was ridiculous. And then they write it down in like their screenplay and it's obviously exaggerated. And it's like their picture of childhood. And it just, uh, it rings so false to me. So I, yeah, I just, I see the pitch being, they see the character and the Sony execs are like sassier, sassier. Sassier. But wait, what are what are her hopes, her dreams? Sassier. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I don't have much else to say about Vivo. I I was a B minus on it after I first saw it because you know I was like, yeah, this is fine. This is really fine. Like there's stuff in there. It, it, it's it's not like insultingly bad. I think I'm closer to a C plus with more time passed. To be honest with you, but where do you stand? Yeah, I mean, when it started out, I was like in pretty firm B territory. And I, I think they, I mean, one thing I didn't mention is I think the end sort of redeems the film a little bit. Like it plays out the expected emotional beats, but it does, you know, it's nice. It's warm. It's sweet. And I think it, um, it sort of redeems the film from like pushing C territory. But in the end, I think it's just ultimately a C plus, like you said, it just doesn't, just doesn't really feel unique to itself or have enough going for it to really justify it being more than like a half hearted shrug. It's just like, yeah, I mean, it's fine, but just thinking about like what it could have been or how much better it could have been if it was just a little different or it took more risk or it did something not that wasn't expected. I just felt like, yeah, I mean, it just kind of bummed out. It's just like, yeah, it just feels like this is the safest version of this film they could have made. And it's just frustrating for that reason. It's the anti Annette in that <laughs> respect. There you go. Well, that is Vivo. It's on Netflix, 99 minutes. I, I it's an easy thing to sort of be like, look, if you watch the trailer again, I didn't watch the trailer for this either. So if you do and it seems like your bag, you might like it. I mean, I think that it's it it, it doesn't ring as like falsely advertised to me. Um, I think you could probably get a good sense of what this thing is about. And it's on Netflix. And if you're listening, you probably have Netflix or know someone who does. And it's a low risk kind of thing. You don't have to go to the movie theater to check it out. And I don't think that it warrants a big screen release anyway, just based on its presentation. I mean, the visuals are nice, but at no point was I being like, man, I want to see that Vista blown up to epic proportions. Like that just didn't quite mm. ring out for me. Looks nice. I, I think it's a good, good looking yeah. movie. Good looking flick. I don't know that will because look, we, this is the third Sony film we talked about this year, right? And I already kind of mentioned, I was like a B minus on Wish Dragon. Mitchell's vs. Machines, one of my favorite movies of the year. And I remember one thing you said about Mitchell's vs. the Machines is that you were like, you, you didn't like it as much, right? It's but fine. like, yeah. I, it's stuff like this where I like, I see this movie and I'm even more confounded that you could look at Vivo and you could look at Mitchell's vs. the Machines and not be like, well, okay. Mitchell's vs. Machines, clear difference in quality. Nah. Ah, dang. I don't know. It, I still think Mitchell's vs. Machines kind of annoying, but oh. I think it, I, I'll concede that's a better film. If you say so. I mean, I forget what your final grade was. I don't know if it was like a C plus or a B minus or I don't know. It was a B minus. I think it's a pretty okay. good film. Oh, you mean for this or for Mitchell's vs. Machine? Mitchell's, yeah, yeah. Oh, Mitchell's, yeah, it's a B minus. Uh, Vivo's a C plus. Well, all of that in my opinion, is nonsense. But that's why we're here. Um, that's it for us this week on Cinemaholics. Thank you for listening. And we hope to be back soon with all kinds of more reviews. We're talking about Free Guy next week, I hope. Uh, Respect. I think we're going to try to... Uh, I, I've seen both of those. Um, and I know Free Guy Free Guy is going to be a conversation. I, I'm very much looking forward to your thoughts on that. I guess. It just looks fine. Like I'm just excited to not see that trailer every time it goes to the movie. Same with Respect. <laughs> It's been a while. I, every time I, yeah, every time I go to the movies, they play that trailer. And it's just like, can we get another trailer? <laughs> I'm tired of I seeing hear this. Yeah. Because I remember seeing that trailer way before COVID happened. I, yeah. Actually, with respect, I had never seen that trailer. Um, oh, I don't know how so I watched you it missed fresh. it. 
it's, I know. I and and it's a type of trailer that shows like the whole plot of the film. So I feel like I've seen the movie 50 million times. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're also open to talk about nine days uh, pretty soon. We're going to try to squeeze that in. And uh, John in the Hole is going to be a limited release. I don't know if we're going to find time to talk about that because we already kind of talked about it at yeah. Sunday. got to get and... you uh, out of that hole. Thanks. Yeah. Very much, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then Don't Breathe 2. That's... Uh, that's not this coming week, is it? Or is it this weekend? Yeah, this, this it is, that is this weekend, yeah. According to my AMC app, it is coming out this week. Yeah, I mean, there's no press screenings or anything, so I'm kind of nervous that it might not be good. I'm hoping I'm hoping that it's something. Uh, and then Coda, which uh, we talked oh, about yeah. at Sundance. Really, really fine movie, you know? It's held up in my estimation. <clears throat> I think that's going to be in theaters um, and then maybe streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. I, I'm not 100% sure about that, but... Yeah, Coda is going to be out. So Grand Jury Prize winner from good. this year's Sundance, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you know, that, that that's a movie that's held up for me a little bit in estimation. So, yeah, listeners, good. you will let us know as well. Um, also, we'll leave you with uh, one more thing. We didn't get to Val this week, the Val Kilmer oh, documentary. We neither of us saw it. about that. Yeah. yeah, you did see Naked Singularity. Um, I have not. Which I think also. Oh, I thought you said you were going to. Okay. I have a screener for it. I never got around to seeing it. Okay. I have seen Nine Days, but like you said, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah, we want to uh, get to it. Yeah. So there you go. So that's everything. Uh, I think we have kind of in the pipeline a few other things I'm probably forgetting about. But for now, we hope you all have a great week. Signing off from the Internet California, I'm John McGurney. And for Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Lashley. See you next time. <laughs>